following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 97, do pilots know how to recover from stalls? We'll find out in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome aviation friends to the Stuck Mike Avcast. I'm here joined with some of my favorite Aviators. I'm here with Rick Felty. Hello, and hello. Rick, welcome. Sean Moody. Welcome, hey, Sean. Hey, everybody. How's it going? And Eric Crump joins us this episode. He missed out from last episode. We had a lot I of fun, did. Eric. I'm so very happy to be back. <laughs> and you know, Yay. today, well, unfortunately, we don't have Victoria. Victoria Zyko is actually out there having a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, she where And she is actually down in uh, Ecuador. And I think so. She's over, I think she's in the Galapagos Islands right now. Is that correct? Wow. I don't well, know. I, I don't know. It's awesome pictures they've yeah. been sending back. And she's going to actually come back and report some, some awesome aviation <laughs> events that have been going on down there. Uh, like the birds may be flying. I don't know. I don't know how much aviation happens in the Galapagos, but I'm sure there's some. Uh, but since- well, there was a picture of her on a swing that looked like it over, over, you know, overflew a cliff. So there's flying there. There is flying, and and that's in the air. Okay, very, very, very good. You, you know, that's why we have you here. You know, you yeah, are I just know. so creative. He is yes, the creative person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of it, is what you're saying. <laughs> you are full. Of it. <laughs> okay, moving along. We love. I but think anyway, somebody else is on the show actually, too. Actually, because we don't have uh, Victoria with us, we actually asked another our guest host from last episode. So, Larry Overstreet, welcome to the episode, Larry. Hello, everybody. Larry, is it cold where you are? No, it's not. It's actually pretty nice out today. Uh, We're supposed to be getting a cold front tomorrow night, so it will be cooler this weekend. But right now, it's uh, been, I think, up in the 70s today. Wow. Yeah, I actually was uh, hanging out with some folks uh, from Wisconsin who were sailors. And I said, sailors, Wisconsin. Gosh, that just doesn't seem to, to jive in my head. And uh, then I realized, yeah, there's there's some big lakes up there, oh, yeah. <laughs> but but us in the south, we always there think we only we only have the the sailing going on here, but that's not true. We do have a lot of aviating, but sure, they sure have some great aviating <laughs> going on up in uh, up in Wisconsin. But I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail, I think, after saying that. But that's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on to uh, folks, uh, welcome the the people listening. We we really appreciate you and all your feedback. By the way, this episode is going to be about your feedback, and we're getting back to answering the questions that uh, were from a long time ago and then some that were just uh, shortly sent to us. Let's do the pre-flight. Before we get going, a real quick uh, announcement, a couple announcements. Oh, uh, first announcement is uh, we've invited you to take part in our 100th episode. And to be part of that episode, we're going to ask you to do this. We're going to ask you to think about a 100th milestone in your aviation life. Something that happened in your aviation career, in your flying, in your your 100th landing, your 
I don't know, maybe it's the, the hundredth time you tried to solo. Uh, hopefully it didn't take that many times. Or, or just something that, that the hundredth time you went to the airport to enjoy an air show. Uh, but also, another thing you could write in is if you have something unique, a hundredth event that happened in aviation that you think we might be interested in, go to Stuck Mike Afcast and just uh, go to the contact page and, and send us that email. I really appreciate it. Uh, as far as other announcements, we have, oh, Jeff Kennan. He actually, we mentioned him before. He's actually a part of the sponsorship of this episode. We really appreciate what he's done with his book, The Day I Learned to Fly. You know, I don't know if I mentioned it last time, but this this book, it's a, it's a children's book, which I actually finally got the hard copy of uh, yesterday, and I've really been enjoying this. And it seems like we have a lot of children's book around here, and I think that's great. It's awesome. Uh, but this is about an eight-year-old, uh, Jeff, and he actually... Learns to fly when he's eight years old, but uh, there's a little twist to it. So I, I really encourage you to go out there and check it out. If you want to check out the book, hey, you Carl. just got to Stuck Mike Avcast. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, this is Larry. Because of your recommendation last episode, uh, I also have that book in my hand right now oh for my, my grandson. Oh, how cool. Did you read it yet? Uh, only the first few pages, so I won't give anything away. Oh, yeah. The, isn't he great? The illustrations are awesome. They really are cute. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a neat book. Yeah, I I've i actually I got halfway through it and I like I was so excited I had to put it down. Uh, but I'm gonna read the re- the other half uh, probably in another in this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow morning. But it's a really cool book and great illustrations. Just a wonderful person. And Jeff actually has agreed to come on and talk about his unique flying experiences. And I'll I'll leave it at that. Uh, also, the other thing, the other announcements I want to make is uh, first of all. I like folks to, you know, we talk about announcements, but we miss some things. What I want you to do is go to this one website. It's called socialflight.com. It's also an app, uh, Android, and also for the iPhone. And it really is cool. If you're, and I hope they come out with the Apple Watch, because the Apple Watch would be really neat to have Social Flight tell you as you're walking around, hey, there's an event going on here. And uh, you can eat, it's pancake breakfast, uh, FA safety seminars. Uh, I put all of our safety seminars on there. Uh, there's also open houses, uh, fly days, uh, EAA Young Eagles days. There's all sorts of neat stuff, neat things out there. I know we talked about this before, but um, I really encourage you to go out there to Social Flight. And let's see, the other announcement. Oh, I forgot. One more announcement. And actually, I'm kind of mad at uh, both Sean and Rick for doing this to me. I always mention how I wind up buying the apps that, that Rick Uh-oh. suggests. And if he is really bad about it. It's not just the apps. It's the hardware, too. Uh-oh. I had to get Amazon Prime just to fulfill my Rick Felty shopping craving. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Shouldn't have mentioned the Tesla last week. Oh, okay, go my gosh, go the Tesla. I was driving behind one. And actually, before buying the Tesla, I said to myself, I can't afford that. But they did talk about the Apple Watch. I just got notification. I'm getting mine in two to three weeks. There you shipping. go. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited. That you did guys you totally me one sold too? me. Is it like a buy one, get I'll one show you friend kind of thing? Yeah. Oh, well, you're going to show it to me? Yeah, yeah. The guy I was flying with, by the way, the day I purchased this, he actually yeah. said to me, he was, he was laughing at me. He took, he had Velcro, Velcro straps, and he took his iPhone and strapped it to his wrist. He said, here, there's your <laughs> Apple Watch. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, the social flight app exists for iOS, but you're right. It is not yet. It does not yet have a, a, a watch extension, but it probably will. Cool. Yeah, that's I actually. Do that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so ex- I am so excited about this because you guys totally sold me on this. All the different aviation. And I apps. think we actually we actually downplayed it a bit, so that's good. 
Yeah, you did. Yeah. You did. And I wound up spending a bunch of money. All the money that I spent on apps because of Rick Felty was just uh, washed out now with the uh, Apple phone. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, and just, I, 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 I really owe your wife some kind of apology. But you I do. Send flowers you do. But that's okay. She got a big bonus check. check, and she said that she'd, she'd buy me okay. something. So nice. I said, how about the Apple Watch? She goes, sure, fine. I said, well, actually, I ordered it already. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's my mine was my birthday present. So you're right, you're right. Totally exactly cool. the same thing. Totally cool. So I'm excited. Awesome. Uh, if if folks have things they want to share with us as far as the Apple Watch apps, I'd love to hear more about them and we'll put those in our like picks of the week, et cetera. We'll check them out. Right. But, uh, but anyway, well, uh, that I'm just so excited about seeing what people are gonna do with that with the the uh, Apple Watch. I, I can't wait to see that. That's uh yeah. As far as you know, aviation's concerned, there's so many yeah. things that that apply. You know, my my favorite part of it actually, which isn't aviation related, is that it will show me, give me directions, because I'm always in a different town. Right, and right. Give me directions. I don't have to constantly pull out my iPhone and look like a tourist. Although I had shorts and a t-shirt on in the winter once, and that made me look a little bit like a tourist. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Now entering cruise flight. Well, anyway, moving on to our, our regular show, uh, we have an actual an int- interesting, interesting feature because it's based on your emails, the emails that you send us. And we do appreciate them. And like I said, I had a little challenge with my email, and we are actually trying to catch up from some old emails. As a matter of fact, our first email comes in, and it talks about the favorite episode of 2014, which we never did get to this person. We uh, we just missed uh, his email from in the last episode, but he said, uh, this person says, hey, all, not sure if uh, you were taking votes on our favorite episode of 2014. Sorry we missed you, but mine was definitely number 66. Uh, note, this is the episode Russ was in about building an instrument approach. That actually was really, really cool. I think we had a couple people vote on that one. And uh, he also goes on, and obviously there's an old one, says, hope you're all having fun getting ready for the holidays. I'm planning on Christmas light flight with my wife and daughter sometime in the next few days. Fun times. Take care. And I can't wait for another year of podcasts. Well, we're well into that other year of podcasts. And thanks so much for that email. I really, really appreciate well, it. That was uh, a great episode. Yeah. Maybe yes. you should go back and listen to that. Because it's pretty self-contained. Like, you don't need to know much before or after. It's just a, a really smart guy talking about how it works, you know, yes. how he does what he does. Yeah, and uh, he, he's actually agreed to come back on. He, uh, we just talked to him recently, and I'm hoping uh, everybody else would like to have him on. Also, I think we we can learn a lot more about making approaches again, and uh, and moving on into other things that that have moved in the past couple of years, things that have been happening. So, he real needs interesting. To come speak so. to my instrument ground school. He should. He should. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna actually. Uh, we've already. I've bookmarked that uh, episode so that uh, the faculty member who's teaching that class can. Uh, can play it in class, yeah. so um, it, it was a that was a good one. That was before my time um, as a co-host, but certainly well into my tenure as a listener. And uh, that was a that was a really good one. It was awesome. We uh, we actually go back and forth a lot. I have a lot of airplane geek friends like Russ and. Uh, that we talk a lot about pr- approaches, et cetera. And, and sometimes people that are very technical get too much in the weeds, and uh, and we don't stand back and look at uh, the actual practical application of that. Uh, so we love to have those discussions. How does this apply in the practical sense of someone actually flying that approach? Let's actually fly that approach. And that's uh, that's been very exciting. So maybe we'll do an episode like that. I think we should. But uh, anyway, well, thanks for that uh, that email from a long time ago. Uh, next, you, you know, Carl, yes, something, real quick, something else that he mentioned there that I just caught my eye was the Christmas light flight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's just another one of those reasons to go flying. And uh, I, I had a chance to do that some years ago um, when I was living down in Arkansas uh, and flew up over Branson, Missouri and Silver Dollar City. And they had a place decked out with so many lights. It was amazing. So, you know, look for those reasons to go fly, even in the wintertime when it's cold or whatever. Uh, I really like it that he was going to go do that. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, we all need an excuse to go fly, right? And that's one right there. I like to just go fly, look at the city. So any of the lights that are out there and watch the watch all the fireworks since I'm so close to Disney. Uh, so great, great, great uh, thing to mention there, Larry. Uh, next question comes in. It says, hello from Switzerland. Um, and he says, just wanted to say hi from Switzerland, listening to your show as often as I can, currently going backwards through all the old episodes, very educational with great stories and fun to listen to. It also helps to keep my interest in aviation going between the long gaps and my flight training. <laughs> Winter in Switzerland is not very great for flying VFR. I bet not on my way to my private pilot's license. Thank you so much for spending your free time and making these podcasts. I appreciate it greatly. Well, I appreciate you listening and also appreciate all the other co-hosts here for putting in all their time. When, uh, when was that one sent? That was how actually sent at the beginning of this year in okay. January. Wonder how, wonder how he's, uh, I assume it's a he, he or she? Uh, it's, mm, yeah. wonder how they are doing yeah, how they uh, with are their doing. trainer. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I hope they're doing well. As yeah. a matter of fact, if they hear this, please hear from let them. us know. Exactly. Yeah. Give us an update. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we love hearing updates on, on what you're doing in your training and how you're progressing. Uh, we have a listener that is just, you know, killing it as far as, as ratings are concerned. We talk about Sam, and uh, he's doing a great job. He's up in uh, Massachusetts, as a matter of fact. Yep. Uh, but uh, we'd love to hear back from you, Sam, if you're listening right now. And let us know what, what you're, you're doing and where you are. Uh, love to hear those stories. Um, uh, the educational part, by the way, we like to always have a takeaway and uh, try as hard as I can to do that. This episode may be a pretty big takeaway because of the next email. And moving into the next email, I know this is going to generate a lot of discussion. Uh, and it's actually from Ask Smack. Uh, that's actually the hashtag Ask Smack, which is on Twitter. And the cool thing about Twitter is that you have to be succinct in your question. And this one actually was and was pretty interesting. Uh, the question comes in from a Twitter uh, actual listener who says, in wake of what looks like another failure to recognize or correct an in-flight stall, AirAsia 8501, please discuss whether ATP pilots practice and demonstrate ability to recognize and deal with in-flight stalls. That was his first uh, discussion point. And then also his question is, is ab initio training at fault here? Pilots who have never felt a real stall in their airliner. And uh, I know we're going to generate a lot of uh, discussion, but before I want to say just thanks for sending in that. Uh, we also have our friends at the NTSB that are going to send us some information on that. Uh, they, they had a, the NTSB wasn't in charge of that investigation, but of course uh, they do work with the NTSB for certain suggestions, and uh, we're going to get the information from them and possibly update you on the next episode. I didn't have all that for this episode. But uh, but on on this crash, just real quickly, Air Asia eighty five hundred one uh, was one of these flights that actually was asking to divert around a thunderstorm, and the controller uh, was not able to do that. So there's a lot of things, or wasn't wasn't giving them the clearance to do that. They were asking to climb, and they fi they finally got a, a climb out of the controller, but. Uh, 
when they after they got the cockpit voice recorder, flight data recorder, they realized that they were in a very steep climb, and uh, in the cockpit voice recorder, you could hear the stall warnings going off. Another interesting thing about this, and this is in an Airbus, and uh, the Airbus, of course, everybody says can't stall. Uh, in this case, people started pointing out, well, how about Air France? It's similar to that. Well, sort of. Uh, in that case, we had iced up pitot tubes. In this case, there was actually a computer system that had they had problems with. And uh, it's a flight augmentation computer, which actually controls more so the rudder and spiral stability. Well, what's interesting about this is we're thinking here, well, what's the rudder have to do with stalling the aircraft? Well, just a quick explanation that in the Airbus, we have all these protections. It won't let you stall. It'll push the nose down, except if you go into what's called alternative law. There's all these laws that they have in the computers. And when they had to turn off that system, the, the flight augmentation computer, the FAC, as they call it, that actually makes it go into alternative law, which enables you to get that warning that they heard, the stall warning, but it doesn't prevent you from stalling the aircraft. So you still need to prevent yourself from stalling. So the proper thing to do would be to actually push the nose down and to stop that stall. And that's not what happened. They actually crashed. So let's get on to the discussion as far as uh, what AT, whether ATP pilots practice and demonstrate ability to recognize and deal with in-flight stalls. Uh, I know that everybody here on this podcast has done a stall, okay, has done a full stall and has seen their aircraft stall. Uh, as far as the ATP is concerned, uh, normally during the ATP, it's, in the past, it's been that you would actually have to recover uh, at the first onset of a stall or the first recognition of that stall. It could be a warning. It's not necessarily a full stall. So normally, no, they don't do that. But things have changed, and they changed because of Colgan. And now we actually do full stalls. But to do full stalls, we have to simulate an abnormal situation just like they had. We had to turn some computers off so we can allow the aircraft will allow itself to stall. Now, Eric, I think you had mentioned prior that the ATP standards have changed again. Well, it's not so much the ATP standards have changed again. It's just that the, the training programs um, within the 121 carriers have changed dramatically you know, over the last 10 years as it relates to stalls and stall training um, and where, where the recovery begins. Um, and I, we were talking about this not too long ago, um, that you know, there, there was a time when it was, oh, there's your indication, you know, get out of the stalled condition. And that's twofold. One is, you know, we never wanted to get to a point where the airplane was stalling. Therefore, there's no reason to practice it. And two, I mean, obviously, you're not going up to do, you know, initial flight checks in an A320 because that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, we don't do that anymore. But the simulator technology that we had available to us even, you know, five years ago, the fidelity just wasn't there um, to do full stall training. And the, the hardware is getting better. The visual systems are getting better. Um, the fidelity is such now that full stall training in a level C or level D simulator um, makes sense. makes sense to do it now. It's, it's, a, it's not a negative training experience like it used to be. Um, and so that, that is changing. Uh, certainly, and had already begun changing before the AirAsia crash. That's been something that's been in the works for a long period of time um, in the 121 world. My bigger concern 
was just what I see happening in general aviation training. Um, the number of people who have not seen spins, have not done spins. Um, the, uh, the fear that exists among GA pilots, well, let's not spin because, you know, if we do, you know, we'll never be able to get out of it, you know, that, that kind of thing. And um, I think we were talking about it before. Um, Larry had a little bit of a chuckle there. Um, and, and those of us, like, like me, for example, who was terrified of stalls, um, because most of my training was done in a Piper Warrior, which, you know, if you can get it to stall, it's kind of this nice mushy little falling leaf thing. It, it doesn't do anything at all. Then you transition to a 152, and the first time it rolls over on a wing, like, well, we're certainly dead now. Um, and never seeing it get beyond that, I didn't understand, well, what happened? If everything goes bad, what happens? Um, and finally, I had an instructor who realized that and took me up and, um, and showed me you know, spinach. She was like, that was it? Yeah, that's it. It's not, there's nothing to it. But there's a fear of the unknown there in general aviation. And I, I'm seeing it more and more now starting to creep into the CFI population. And that, that's really worrisome to me um, because that CFI population will eventually, maybe some, will eventually become you know, other types of professional pilots. I don't want to say that CFI, being a CFI isn't a professional career in aviation. It certainly is. But uh, corporate or, or airlines or whatever it is, um, having that exposure, having that comfort with stalls, recognition, recovery, and even spin recovery, upset training at that level, I think is incredibly important. I know Larry has gotten a lot of uh, spin training, etc. Um, I, I can't remember if, Rick, did you get any type of uh, spin or incipient spin training? Uh, no, never, no. never did. No. And how, so, how did you feel towards stalls? Well, yeah, they were, you know... They're just like any new student does. They're certainly the, um, especially the power on, you know, there's a lot of energy happening there. And, uh, you know, I think my first few weren't as controlled as they needed to be, you know, when I was starting out. But, but eventually it, it was all, you know, it was fine. But you're right. Once you've done it and you're, you know, it, it's sort of except for the, the, the you know, the, the flight reviews every couple of years, if you don't, you just don't do them and you don't practice them. And I never, and I, you know, I, I, I certainly had some opportunities to maybe try some stuff, and I just I've never done it. You know, I, I wonder if if you haven't done it. I'm assuming Sean, have you ever done uh, spins or incipient spins? No, I haven't. Um, kind of like Rick said, you know, the accelerated stalls when you're uh, when you're learning, you know, you you kind of feel like you're right on the edge of a spin, <laughs> and that's that's enough. You know, speaking for myself anyway, as, as a low hour private pilot at the time, that's enough to kind of scary and to never want to, to inadvertently get close to that, but never have actually gone all the way into a spin. So I know I know Larry and, and Eric are feel very confident in their abilities to get out of a an incipient spin, a spin, but uh, and Sean and Rick, you know, I, I wonder what you feel like as far as your training uh, to prevent a spin, but also your training towards getting out of a spin. Do, do you feel comfortable? Uh, I mean, I remember the the textbook version. You know, uh, opposite rudder, neutral aileron. Um, you know, and and, and pull up to, to level. Uh, but it's one yeah. thing to remember the remember what's in the book, and it's another to actually put it into practice. Yeah, to be yeah to be comfortable enough to just continue to. You know, there's a there's definitely the concern that if you aren't used to it, um, you you wouldn't react correctly quickly enough, and potentially act incorrectly. And you know, sort of seal your fate. So, I, I, I kind of would come down on the side of we probably should be practicing them. But 
yeah, yeah. I, this is interesting because I, I don't know where I stand anymore. I, I really have. I am so on the fence on this issue. Uh, I would say it, we definitely need to teach our CFIs uh, to get out of stalls because I, I mean, I remember always telling my students, "There's, you know, whatever you do, I can get us out of it as long as we have altitude." That's the part I leave out. But as long as we have altitude, I can get us out of it. It's just that. Um, I'm not sure we've instilled that confidence. I think Eric touched on this into our CFIs, and I think that Sean and Rick, I think you're a good example. Did uh, did you feel confident in your in your instructor's abilities so that they could prevent you from getting into a small stall spin? Yeah, and oh also yeah, definitely. Out? Okay, yeah, good. definitely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I never felt uh, you know at day in da- in danger of. You know, I guess I just had maybe it was blind confidence, but ultimately <laughs> I think the guys, no, they were all good and and and. There were a couple of moments where they corrected something that I, you know, I had gotten us into. I, 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 it wasn't a full thing, but it was it was on its way. You know, right. you know, your your <laughs> my controls, your controls, and um, yeah, that was early on. And so yeah, and I never felt worried about it. In fact, that's what's so cool about training. If you've got the right CFI, I always felt was that there was that back. You know, there was someone who knew a lot. And I, I had confidence in them that they would let me learn, but, you know, get me to that edge, but not let us both go over it. Um, so, and that's how I felt about everybody I trained with. And that, yeah, I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that that edge is hard to define for some people. It always is, is yeah. changing, right? And, yeah. And I, but I would say that even if, like, I would never, I was not, I'm not a person who would ever begrudge them taking the controls. Right. Like, I, it's not like, wait, wait, I had that. You know, no, I, that's not me. You know, it's like if you did that, there's a reason, and I'll learn from it, and let's let's keep flying. That you know what I mean? Sean. Like, have you had that happen where they took the controls and you were you felt like you you felt you should have kept the controls, or or you felt confident and, and happy they took the controls? I'm sorry, Carl. Was that at me? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't recall a time where I was upset that they took controls. I remember one time uh, an instructor let me get a little bit clo- too close to another airplane on uh, on final. It was uh, it was at a towered airport, and they told us to turn base at our discretion, and uh, and he let me turn probably a little bit closer than you would normally in real life, and we got a little bit of a taste of the wake turbulence. Looking back, I realized that he knew it was coming, and and he was ready to jump in. He did jump in immediately, and and you know, kind of got us back in line. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly had no issue with him uh, getting us out of that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, those are, there's, a, there's a lot of examples. And the ones I remember maybe the most from training were where it was clear that the CFI uh, knew the situation so well that they could let me make a mistake and learn from it. And and those you know those happen and you guys can speak to this probably but or they intentionally created a scenario where they knew how to how to get us out of it but um, yeah I think those are actually very strong learning experiences and uh, at least I learn from those very very well where where you know if I make a decision because they've set up a scenario where I you know I, I get to make a decision and I made slightly the wrong one turn too early whatever it is. Um, and they let it go as far as they can go, and then they move in. That's that's pretty powerful stuff, and and you were, you learn a lot from that. I think, at least I do. Yeah, I, I think, think that's also one of the hardest things to teach instructors. How do you let it get right up to that line? How do you recognize where that line is? Because if you let it go right to that point, that means what what you know the way we teach it is the last instructional moment. So where is that? Where is that point? At what point has it now ventured into an unsafe operation? 
you've got to let the student get to that point so they can learn from the experience. But if you let it go one millisecond beyond that, you could be in serious trouble. And I think the this comes out most perfectly in two areas of flight. One is landing practice and the other stalls. And I think both of those have to do with situations where instructors are the least comfortable. And in the landing scenario, it's, hey, this person has controlled the airplane and we're pointed at the ground. Okay, so that's an obvious one. I can understand right. that. Yeah. My issue is when you're at 3,000 feet practicing slow flight and turn, and it, when I even mention turning stalls to CFI applicants, they're like, oh, oh, turning. So I don't want to, I'm like, you're, you're going to be a flight instructor. And you're, it's not like you're close to the ground. Like I can understand that hesitation in landing practice. I can't understand that hesitation in, you know, abnormal flight situations, certainly, but not, not, not an emergency. The airplane's not on fire. There's no, there's no panic um, because the airplane is still flying. It's just not flying correctly. So you have to fix it. And so that's, for me, I, I, get, I, get the, I get the issue because I have yet to go through a CFI ground school where somebody has not had a real hard time identifying at what point do I take the controls. The thing that is concerning to me is how many CFIs take the controls as soon as the, the airplane starts to get a little bit wobbly during a stall. No, no, no. That's, that's the perfect teachable moment. That's where the person is actually feeling what the airplane is doing. If you take the airplane then, you've ruined the entire learning experience. And I, it's, it's a tough thing to teach. I'm not saying I got it figured out. I'm just saying that's those two situations are where I see instructors freak out the most. The landing I understand, but being at altitude in an abnormal flight situation that's still totally fixable and correctable, that, that does concern me. So, Eric, that, that's concerning under your, in your flight instructors. Uh, but getting back to his point about commercial pilots, uh, mm -hmm. and I'd like to hear your philosophy on this. One of the things that I used to do with my commercial pilots is uh, opposite of what I did with my private. I, they would stall, full stalls, really as deep as we can get them, uh, and, and accelerated stalls. With my commercial applicants, what I would do to them is I'd say, you need to recover your, the first time you know or you have a, any any inkling that you're going to stall. In other words, I, if the stall warning came on, just re relax back pressure a little bit. What I was trying to instill in them is is that, hey, release the back pressure. Release, you know, point the nose down a little bit. It's going to come out. You're not going to get that stall. If you don't stall, you don't get the spin, uh, which was a different philosophy than any other portion of my training that I did. And the reason I did this is that now you're moving on to carrying passengers, and you really want to try to prevent yourself from stalling, not be afraid. If we, if we didn't start with square one at the private level doing full stalls, et cetera, then that may not work as well. But that was a philosophy I used to use, especially when getting ready for a, a check ride for a commercial pilot. You know, obviously we did the full stalls, but we also, the, the, the stalls that, that you need to recover from have to be recovered quickly. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and there's no hesitation. So I tried to get them to quickly recover. And it's the same thing in, once you start flying a larger aircraft in a jet. So I, I wonder what, what you feel about that philosophy, Eric. No, I, I think there's something really valid there, and obviously the FA kind of shares the same philosophy, but that's why the practical test standards are written the way they are, mm -hmm. um, where you know private pilot is the only time you are required by the practical test standard to do a full stall. Right. Um, and that's the only time. There is no other requirement to do that at any other point during your training. Now, I understand the logic behind it. At the same time, I still think you need to be doing full stalls at every level of training, but just because there... that's a skill that 
it is a skill like anything else that if not practiced will degrade over time and there is a reason to practice that skill now should it be evaluated on every check ride i don't know i'll let somebody smarter than me figure that out but should it be trained to yeah and certainly if you think about this from what you just said carl so somebody goes to their private they do full stalls they go to their commercial there's no requirement to do full stalls now instructors might still have them do them but there's no requirement to do it so the whole thing is first indication we recover then they go to their cfi training and then we're right back to full stalls and now we're doing spins but now you've allowed that person a whole bunch of hours when they were training for their commercial where they have not done full stalls those skills have degraded and now you're going to teach them to be a flight instructor and i think that's where there's a there's a gap there that mm-hmm. the logic makes total sense but then when you're looking at the rating they're going to do next losing practical stall recovery skills it's kind of an iffy thing you're going to have to reteach that and then you're going to have to teach them to do it from the right seat I guess my assumption was that during your training, uh, not so much getting ready for the check ride, that you would do full stalls as a review. Because every, I'm assuming everybody's syllabus has some type of review in there uh, where you do go over that and then you move on. Well, and on. certainly we agree that you should, but yeah. there's no requirement to do it. That's my concern. That because, like, and we've talked about this on this podcast, and I've certainly talked about it with my friends at the FAA, it's if, if you test it, it, they will train it. Right, sure. <laughs> but if you don't, there will always be people who are only going to train what's on the test. And if you don't require somebody to do full stall recoveries, no guarantee they're going to train it. I think that's what's good about these syllabuses, these 141 syllabuses, uh, where mm-hmm. the one I used actually had full stalls at, at some point yeah. in there. Oh, yeah, well, it should. I mean, it's there's there's a difference between should and must. <laughs> right. And, right. and I, I have a concern when we're relying on should because I, I've seen the outcome of that, a generation of CFIs who've been trained by skittish CFIs. And it's, it's unnerving, really. I mean, and it's, it's one of those things. It's, we, we prepare, even our students, we prepare them for uh, spin training. And they get really, really nervous. And, and I, it's funny because I look back and I'm like, you know, I was in the same boat. I went to my, I was, I was working on my commercial certificate before some instructor finally realized that I was terrified of stalls. It took that long for somebody to realize that I was afraid of stalls. And so, you know, he took me up to altitude and spun me and showed me, and I was like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. So then the fear element was gone because I knew if everything went down the toilet, this is the worst thing that could happen. Okay, well, that's not bad. And, and it was fine. But my issue is it's, it's fear of unknown. And then when, when that happens, when you're distracted or everything goes wrong, you get distracted based to final, you get slow, you hear the horn and you don't think about it and you go to compensate with top rudder and the thing drops over on a wing. You have a second, half a second to react to that uh, at the altitudes you're at. And if you haven't trained for it and if it's not fresh in your mind, instead of falling back on your training, you're going to fall back on your panic. And nothing is going to come out of that. And it just, that's my thing. I think we should be doing a better job certainly with instructor applicants, and making sure that they're teaching students not to be afraid of stalls. This is not something to fear. It's something to understand the same way that landing is. You can't be afraid to land and be a pilot because you have to do it every time you fly. One way or another, that thing's coming down. You know, we've never lost an airplane up in the air. They always come back. (laughs) Um, You know, and so you can't be afraid of landing. Well, you can't be afraid of stalls either because the airplane could theoretically do that, Um, whether it's accelerated or not. Um, it could happen. So 
So train for it. Be proficient in it. And I think, you know, not to, I know we kind of drifted into deep into the ab initio side of things, but from the 121 side, you know, you've seen the FA and, and the airlines understand, hey, you know, there's kind of a training gap here. There's something we need to fill in. And as I've made mention of before in this podcast, if, if 121 operators who are, you know, and not to, you know, inflate Carl's ego any more than it already is, but you're talking about the best of the best when it comes to puns. I mean, they're good sticks. I mean, they know how to fly. I mean, they're at the, the pinnacle of their, of their career ability. They're, they're the best pilots we've got. Um, and if, if those people see the need to do recurrent stall recovery training, I think, you know, Joe with 100 hours who flies the 172 once or twice a year should probably be doing recurrent stall spin training, in my opinion. You know, to, to add to that, Eric, I, I think, too, uh, it depends on your environment and your equipment. Um, when we're Wait, talking, don't do it in an airplane that you can't do it in. Don't right. go practice stalls and spins in your Cirrus. That's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, or make sure the parachute's packed properly. Yes, or make sure but, you're just in case. But, you know, it's interesting. We, we talk about the ATP, and, and this person actually talks more towards ab initio, but ab initio is just from the beginning. Uh, it could be a 141. It could be the same syllabus. So I, I'm not sure I would I would focus my intention on ab initio being at fault. I would say that the training might be. Uh, you know, ab initio works in the Air Force very well. Uh, mm-hmm. They start from day one, and, and that's a type of ab initio training. So I'm not sure. I, I'd say more the syllabus is at fault. But, but also, I think something he touched on, and you were talking about, is that stalling, say, an airliner that takes 20,000 feet to recover or 10,000 feet to recover? Um, I know uh, one of the jets I was flying, it took me a good 14,000 feet to recover on a good good day, yeah. uh, obviously up at altitude, et cetera. But one of the things that has changed, and, and I know Eric probably knows this, is that uh, there's a lot more realistic types of training going on at the airlines for instance, uh, during an approach to landing stall, we don't do them in altitude anymore. We intercept the ILS, and we bring the throttle to, or thrust levers to idle. And then we recover at the first, first indication of stall. Again, we don't do a full stall at 1,000 feet because there is no recovery. Uh, but you, you, there's, a, there's where recovering at the first indication becomes extremely important because you're not going to be able to recover from a full stall in an airliner, again, the reason we have so much protection. And you stall a thousand feet in the pattern uh, in, a, in a 172, you're going to recover rather easily. Uh, but you're not going to do that with a different type of equipment. So, of course, you know, equipment is important there. Another thing that he touched on is um, pilots never having to feel a real stall in an airliner. We actually, uh, you do see this happen often in the training environment. And I know, you know, Rick and Sean touched on it. That's why I wanted to bring up the the points about doing stalls and spins. Is that we we may see things that we are not in our syllabus, uh, but we're with an instructor that's going to make sure we don't do anything wrong, and that person is going to allow us to go in there and in a safe environment allow us to stall that airplane. A safe environment stalling a plane in an airliner is really in a simulator because we were losing too many airplanes and pilots before when we were doing the actual airplane. But normally, if uh, you know you have you have time, they'll say, "Hey, yeah, go ahead and do those stalls." Uh, it's also becoming part of the curriculum as a training event, not as a testing event. 
okay? Stall recovery still will, I think, always be at the first indication of stall. We won't ever see full stalls except during training. And I think that's that's something that's really important to make a point here, especially with And this. it's appropriate. That's yeah. appropriate at that level of flying because, like you said, there is no recovery. It's, it's got to be a realistic scenario. Otherwise, what are you training for? What's right. the What's the point of the evaluation if it's a guaranteed fail? If you if you if you know going into it, there's no way to get out of it, then that's not a good evaluation event in the first place. Sure, sure, and and I think you can't train for every single contingency. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen some of those thick books as far as our our quick reference handbooks for doing emergency procedures. It's huge. I mean, you would, your training would last for months and months on end. You need to train people to be able to look into that manual. And uh, a good example is Air France. I mean, all you need to do is look at the portion of the checklist that says unreliable airspeed. And that's all you need to do is read that portion of the checklist. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get excited trying to do things ourselves, and we become the Ginsu chefs of the airlines, start switching switches, and you're like, whoa, 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 time out. Let's, let's go back and let's start training towards the checklist. Interesting, I asked this question of someone who does training and uh, before we, we came to this podcast about training people more into the systems because that's another thing we're moving away from, which ties into this question, is that we're not training and we're not really getting deep into the deep end of the pool as far as systems are concerned. In other words, we are not having to draw diagrams of the systems anymore. We're not having to memorize, you know, this little electron comes into the electrical system and then goes through here and there. What does it do when it gets to this gate? Uh, that's not happening. Uh, it's becoming trainings that has turned into green's good, yellow, caution, red's bad. And uh, we've, we, we don't have the memory items and the uh, limitations that we used to have where we'd memorize 70 or 80 items for an exam. It may only be 10 items now because... You know, the aircraft is going to tell you, hey, you know, it's in the red. It's bad. So I, I wonder how much of that um, may turn around. Maybe we will start to get to know systems better. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure as far as the ATP standard. I don't know if you've, you know, what you guys do at the, at the school, Eric, and, and how, much, how deep you get into your systems. I'm really curious about that. Well, I mean, you have one whole class that's systems, right? aircraft systems and components, which is just you know, from, you know, lightweight equipment on a Cessna 172 into light twins. Um, and then at the upper level in the bachelor's degree program, there's a transport category aircraft systems class, which is, you know, taking from, um, it actually starts kind of in the medium turbo props and works up into uh, the heavier jet systems as well. Um, and then also there's a maintenance for pilots class, which is more, it's more what is a maintenance inspection, what's done, how is it done, how do you take the airplane apart and put it back together. And not that you're going to do it, but from the pilot's perspective, what when the airplane comes out of an annual inspection, what, what was done? How do you know what to look for to make sure that things that needed to be corrected were, that kind of thing. So I think systems knowledge is tremendously important. Um, I think you, in order to really be a, um, you know, a, a master of the ship, as it were, you got to know how the ship works. Now, I'm not saying you should be, you know, a mechanical engineer and, you know, design replacement sheet metal on the spot or anything. But at the same time, you do need to understand how the airplane works. I think it makes you a more competent, better pilot if you do. I think you're right. And I agree with that. You have to, you also have to have the discipline to always use a checklist. 
Because, you know, there's there's some people that really, and I love to know systems in the aircraft I'm on, but and I am tempted to flick a switch I shouldn't. But I say to myself, listen, I'm going to that checklist first. I know what's going to happen in that checklist, but I have to do the checklist, period. And yeah, every time. It. I mean, it doesn't, we, you know, emergency for immediate action items, we, we memorize those, but then we still go to the checklist. Even, you know, flow list, there's still a verification that you did it right. Even the, even the things you're supposed to have memorized, you still have to verify that you did them right. Um, and the, the checklist is a, is a huge piece of that. And you made point of the, the QRH. Of course, our emergency checklists are in QRH format also. You've seen them, Carl. Um, and it's this little bitty spiral bound thing with, you know, 12 <laughs> pages. You know, it's, it's really simple. But it's to get somebody in the mindset of how these documents work. And even, you know, at a private or commercial level, flying a Cessna 172 or a Piper Arrow or whatever, if you don't know what you're looking for, it doesn't matter if you have one page or 250, you're still not going to find it. It, it. Familiarity with the document is critical whether there's 500 pages or there's five. And it's just it's learning a skill that you're going to need forever in your aviation career. Because, yeah, like you said, Carl, if something goes wrong and you're like, well, let me get out the 500-page document here and start flipping page by page until I find it. Well, no, it's not. That, that is a guaranteed unsuccessful outcome. Right, right. I'm curious. I wonder if uh, glider pilots have a real big systems manual that they have to man- memorize, Larry. The, not uh, really. <laughs> yeah, we, here's a stick, here's a basic, Yeah, basic mnemonic checklist for, you know, for uh, uh, takeoff and landing uh, for most aircraft. And... Um, and then uh, you, when you're assembling a glider or disassembling a glider, you want to make sure you know controls are working and pins are safety and all that kind of thing. But there's they're just such simple aircraft. There's there's not a whole lot to it. So you should be able to memorize all the systems then, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's the welded tubes. <laughs> well, there, right. You know, there's <laughs> I, some and fabric. I, I love the simplicity of that. You know, that that's awesome. Um, but I, you know, I'm I'm kind of curious. Also, going back to the, the private pilot level, because it's been a little while since I've, I've done some private training, um, either, you know, Sean or Rick can and tune in here, is that, the, you know, what, how deep did you get into, say, the electrical systems or the hydraulic systems? Did they make you actually diagram it, or did they actually demonstrate that? They talked about it. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, we didn't, I didn't end up having to diagram it. I remember, you know, it's hard to remember now, but I remember there were some failures that were discussed that would indicate what was wrong based on what had failed, depending on the plane, um, you know. But I, I don't remember getting into detail about, you know, and we knew there's reasons you check the fuses, and, and we did, there, you know, I remember going through what, what, what buses were for what and all that. And that's, and that's systems knowledge right there. Yeah, I mean, it was there. It was just, it was not, it, yeah, so not it was deep. not, yeah, yeah, not, not completely deep, but, but you know, <laughs> deep enough for my eyes to glaze over probably at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a, that was probably my weakest area was systems. I remember the electrical system gave me fits, um, and they, with my training, they did have us kind of diagram it out, like you mentioned, Rick, the different buses. And it is, you know, I, I'm, that's not to downplay its importance, especially when it comes to things like load shedding and that kind of thing, knowing what's going to, you know, give you the most bang for the buck when you're, when you're trying to save your power. But, um, we, we went pretty deep into that. Uh, this was on Skyhawk, so, you know, there wasn't much else as far as systems went that was all that complicated when you know when compared with something like an airliner but uh it felt that way to me at the time i can tell you that (laughs) 
You know, you impressed me with the term load shedding. I don't think I ever knew what that term meant until maybe my instrument or so. You know, so that's that's kind of cool. They, they really got <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, that was you know it, I, I was like load shedding really, and and you know of course with with the bigger planes it does automatic load shedding etc. But uh, I I really think that's neat that that they actually kind of got into that with you. I really I'm of the philosophy learn as much as you can about the airplane, and then you know just use that checklist. You know good good example. Uh, I was absolutely amazed about the toilet on the airplane I'm flying right now. That it was, you know, they use suction actually for the toilet. And when I found out that the the suction the machine is is electrical motor on the ground, and it was broke, so we couldn't use the 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 head or the toilets on the aircraft. And uh, I was like, oh man, this stinks. The guy's like, well, it'll work in the air. And I was like, well, how in the heck is it going to work in the air? He says, well, he says it works on differential pressure, so above fifteen thousand or so. Uh, we'll be able to start using the toilet because it uses differential pressure. Remember, the pressure outside is a lot lower. I was like, oh, wow, why didn't I know that? Well, again, we didn't get into that system. Now, would that have, you know, the only reason that would have been good to know in that situation is that it would have been ab- enabled me to make a quicker decision as to whether we have to shut off the the toilets or not for the passengers, et cetera. So that's just a a good example of a simple system that that breaks down that it would have been nice to know that information. So I will say one thing I am doing now is in every airplane, I'm going back and trying to review systems as much as I can. And there's some really cool books out there. And I know that Eric has a book at his school that they use for systems, and I can't remember the name of that book. What is that book name? It's Aircraft Systems for Pilots by Dale Durmer. It's it's great. It's an absolutely great book. And there are lots of them out there. Um, That one just happens to be one that I was really familiar with and uh, faculty liked it. And that's the one we ended up going with. That book's printed by Jeppesen, I think. Um, ASA also has a really great systems book, A Pilot's Guide to Aircraft and Their Systems or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's also a really great book. and then, of course, when you get to the uh, the higher level of systems, which you know most GA pilots probably don't care about, there's actually a book called Transport Category Aircraft Systems, which is also printed by uh, Jepson, which is a, a a really really great book uh, with uh, lots of really good information. Also, some airplane specific information because when you get to that level, you know specificity really does matter. <laughs> um, you know, we're at, at the when you're talking about a carburetor, you can talk about a carburetor. You don't really have to get into different makes and models of carburetors. Um, when you get into you know accessories in a in a turbojet system, you you really have to get pretty specific because there there are some pretty substantial differences between airplanes at that level. So um, it's it's very custom tailored to the level that you're learning at. So so we like those those references. And the one more was a Turbine Pilot's Handbook. That's like that, one of my favorites. That's good. Turbine Pilot's Flight Manual, is that what it is? Uh, Turbine Pilot's Handbook, I think is what it's called, but we'll look okay. it up. We'll make sure we get a link to it in the show Yeah, notes. that's a really good one also. That's awesome. And, uh, and if I, you're really interested in engines specifically, Aircraft Power Plants by McGraw-Hill is a, is a oh, tremendous yeah. book. I mean, it's, all, it's a maintenance textbook for you know, people pursuing a power plant certificate. Um, so it's really, really deep in the systems. But if you're an engine person and you really want to understand how engines work, you, you won't find a better engine reference. It's really, really good. Well, that's awesome. We'll, we'll definitely have links to all those at the bottom in the show notes because those are some really cool manuals. And, uh, well, gosh, you know, this has been a, a great discussion. I just realized we're kind of running out of time. But uh, as far as the Air Asia the 8501, I think that was an awesome question that you asked. You asked the, you asked the short question 
on Twitter, and it cost us, what, a half hour of discussion. <laughs> I think that's so cool. Those are the best questions, though. Now, that was a really good one. I was excited to see that one in the notes. I was excited we were going to get to hit that one. Yeah, there, it is. It's uh, As a matter of fact, I have a link to it. And in July or August of this year, I think is when they're going to, they said they estimate they'll have their final ruling as to what the what the actual cause uh, the causality of that accident i forget what they call it it's a diff- little different than the ntsb but their local safety board uh is in- investigating this and they said in, probably in august they'll have that out there so i'm pretty excited to see that we'll have a link to the wikipedia which has links to all those different organizations so great question man that was that was really good i really enjoyed that and again uh that I, the the genius here, Rick Felty, he he put this together as far as the ability to ask questions on Twitter. Ah, uh, yes, they, stole that from another podcast, but yeah, not uh, an aviation one, so it's fair. <laughs> well, that's cool. That that's awesome. It's it's a hashtag it, Ask Smack, right? Ask yeah, Smack, and it, it just tracks for those of you who like who likes gadgets. It just tracks the code and dumps it into a what is it? Google Doc? A Google Doc, you? right? Yeah. yeah, and then and it's a uh, yeah, it's a spreadsheet. And then when they go in there, we we get them. So you can just go yeah, to our Twitter, cool. you know, uh, stuck Mike Avcast on Twitter, uh, and of course, obviously, you can just email us. That's that's probably one of the easier ways to do it. But uh, great discussion, guys. This has been really good, and I, I've taken away a lot from this myself. And and I've actually, I think I've produced more questions than answers in my mind. Uh, so so I'd love to hear from listeners what they felt about this discussion, and if you have any opinions. Uh, a lot of these are our opinions, and and I'd like to hear yours too. So definitely uh, send us some uh, an email at contact at stuckmikeavcast. Our picks of the week. Uh, now moving on to our picks of the week, we got some really cool picks of the week. Um, let's start with, uh, let's do Eric, Eric Crump, your pick of the week. Go ahead, Eric. I think he's, he's, he's Sorry, no, 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 it's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I clicked the mute button and then pulled an Eric moment and forgot to unclick the mute button. Yeah. Push um, forward, push forward. Stall, stall. <laughs> <laughs> terrain, terrain. Terrain. <laughs> um, so I, I, the last time I did a pixel, and I, I wasn't on the last episode, but the last time I did... I was originally mocked for my choice of, of, of ways and how in the world was that going to connect back to aviation. So this time I have picked a true aviation pick of the week. There can be no doubt whatsoever that I have a solid aviation pick of the week. And it's, it's almost kind of in line with the Rick Felty app aviation thing, but it's not an app. It's actually a, an online um, simulator. It's an air traffic control simulator. It's free to play. Um, and... You can go to a variety of airports all over the world, um, and you get to you know tr- tell everybody where to go. It's it's very <laughs> it's very liberating if you're the pilot to get to boss people around for a while after being bossed around um, by our our loving wonderful friends in ATC who keep us all safe and alive, and we appreciate you. But for, if you're a hobbyist or just somebody who likes to um, waste time waiting on your next flight lesson, um, it's simple. It's atc-sim.com, uh, free. Um, instructions, video tutorial available. There is a scoreboard, so you can compete if you wish. Um, just it's just good, good humored fun. So um, it's just one of those. You can think of it as a time waster, but uh, I think it has actually some learning benefit too. If you want to kind of understand uh, what's going on big picture uh, when you're talking to air traffic control. So there's my pick of the week. Awesome. Yes, that's definitely aviation related. So we appreciate that. Uh, but the <laughs> ATC sim that it's good to learn anything to do with air traffic control because we always have mic fright and if you get in the system more which this allows you to do 
Uh, you'll have less of that Mike Frick, I think. So that's awesome. Listen, uh, who's next? Rick Felty, since you're... Yeah. What's your pick of the week? Well, for, before I do my pick of the week, I should have done this at the beginning. Uh, just a quick shout out. I don't know if these gentlemen will be listening and I don't know their names, but we recently took a flight from Boston to uh, Chicago on United and uh, just great, a great pre-flight thing. And I know, Carl, you do this all the time, but they were just really great to my son. Got to, got to hang out up front. Cool. Captain's... Yeah, seat pushed right up. The, the co-pilot was walking him through some stuff. It was. I mean, he's not. He doesn't. He, he's just. I mean, he, the pilot. They they were talking to me more than necessarily to him at sometimes. But it was a blast, and they were really great with him. And I just want to thank uh, those guys. I gave him gave him a card from the uh, podcast. So hopefully they're listening. But I wanted to give him a shout out to them. Thanks. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, you know, we do these picks of the week um, twice a month pretty much. And uh, I don't always have anything. So today I hit up my friend, uh, Andrew Blanchard, who's a friend of the show. Oh. You may have heard him on an earlier episode. He's um, a, a student, uh, aviation student at uh, Purdue. Um, and I'll just mention, I, I asked him, I said, where are you at now? So he gave me, I said, I want to know, you know, give me all your stuff. So he's now a commercial single, single multi-instrument and glider and has glider endorsements. Uh, he's a flight instructor, airplane single engine, an LSA glider instructor, uh, second-in-command type rating in the uh, Embraer Phenom 100. Um, so oh. he's doing a few things. Gosh. Um, and, yeah, and <laughs> Kudos, he's just, man. Very nice. Yeah, he's yeah. cruising. And he's, a, and he's just a really, really great guy and, and just one of those pilots that you, when you're flying with him, you get that he, he's safe, he's on top of it, he's comfortable with what he's doing. Anyway, so he recommended, and I know that there's um, a couple of these, but he just made, recommended because at Purdue they fly Cirrus a lot. Uh, they have a whole fleet. Um, he recommended an app. Uh, I, I think it's a free app uh, called Cirrus Pro Flight, and it's nothing fancy. All it is uh, is uh, you can program specific planes, Cirrus, uh, so calculating weight and balance, um, weather, departure information, ground roll, stuff like that for the plane you're you're in and you're using a lot. Um, he uses this a lot, loves it, and I noticed that the guy who wrote this also has a Cessna Pro Flight, same kind of thing. And there's a lot of these out there, but this one does look really great, and he sort of swears by it. So it's a uh, uh, it's an app called Cirrus Pro Flight, and that's uh, thanks to a uh, friend of the show, Andrew Blanchard. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, thanks, Andrew, and, and congratulations. Cirrus Pro Flight, cool. I uh, have to look that one up. Another app I could buy. This is cool. Oh, and I should say, so this summer, if you're in the Boston area, he's uh, he's going to be a CFI at uh, Norwood, where I fly out of. Norwood, um, cool. And he's... They have a they have a SR twenty two. He's he can teach in that. They've got you know lots of stuff. Skyhawks, Warriors, whatever. But um, so yeah, look them up. Cool. Well, thanks, Rick. Appreciate that. And let's see our next pick of the week. Actually, I'm going to do the pick of the week. Mine's uh, it's uh, an interesting book that I had mentioned was sent to me, and I kind of lost it in a big pile of books on aviation. But it's called. I finally picked it out, and I appreciate Christopher Bartlett, who's the author. Sending Air Crashes and Miracle Landings, 60 Narratives. One thing I like about his book, it has many different chapters in here and many different sections based on the type of accident. And one of the things that he did to me, it, the very first accident was uh, talks about loss of power over water, and it was about Amelia Earhart, and I've never watched the movie, Amelia. So I, I actually stopped on page nine of this book and watch the movie Amelia. So he inspired me to do that. But he also inspired me to look into some of these accidents a little closer. And he, he interjects his opinion. So he has narratives 
and he has the information about the accidents. But every so often he gives his opinion, and he gives some other information. Uh, for instance, at a time where they didn't have the NTSB and they didn't have causal factors, he interjects his own. And uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. What, what the great thing about this is that it, it makes us remember some of these accidents that have happened and realize that, you know, oh, yeah, that did happen to, to a couple of pilots. They, two 747 experienced pilots actually uh, ran into each other. But some of the, the different sections are like loss of power over water, over land, runway overruns, uh, midair collision avoidance, and fly-by-wire. Some really, really neat things. And the cool thing about it is he keeps adding to it. It's called Air Crashes and Miracle Landings by Christopher Bartlett. I highly recommend it. It's one of those books you can look up uh, one accident and delve into that accident for the next week. And we'll have a link to the web and the website with that one. Well, our next person up would be Sean Moody on his pick of the week. Yeah, mine is uh, mine is a book as well. And it's not new. It's actually been around for a little bit more than 50 years or so. But I finally just got around to reading it. It's called uh, Fate is the Hunter. Have you guys read it? Oh, yeah. That's oh, an man. awesome I, book. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah finally, I bought it like three years ago, and it sat in the shelf, and I finally got around to reading it. It's just an awesome story of uh, of one man's experience in the uh, the 30s, 40s, kind of the dawn of commercial aviation, um, and it kind of follows his career through uh, flying mail across the Northeast to doing sort of I, I what I took away was kind of like contract flying, I guess, for the military, transporting troops and uh, up over the North Atlantic. And it's a really fascinating book, um, and it really kind of eye-opening to see how aviation was uh, back in the in the really early days. Um, but the uh, the author is Ernest K. Gann, and uh, wholeheartedly recommend that one. Check it out. Is that the same author that did like the High and the Mighty? Am I thinking of the right one? Uh, I think so. well, uh, from I'm actually on the Wikipedia page right now. It is, yeah. I guess the High and the Mighty was a, a novel that he wrote that apparently was kind of born out of one of the stories in Fate as the Hunter, right? right. Um, which I have not read, and I know there was I, there was a movie by the same name, but I'm not entirely sure it was uh, the John same Wayne. story or not. But um, yeah, yeah I, I haven't read that, and I haven't seen the movie, so I'll have to check those out next. Yeah, the, definitely have to see that movie. It's it's there's a the funny scene in there where he slaps the pilot, and that was actually turned into a a, a spoof on on those aviation shows. Oh, is that airplanes. where the airplane thing came yes, from? Yes, exactly. Oh, exactly. okay. And the captain actually was an airplane. Uh, oh, really? High and the mighty. Yeah. So that's all. I'm not giving any more information. So all go right. out and watch uh, High and the Mighty. Go back and watch it. All right. <laughs> yes, definitely go see that. <laughs> but cool. Fate as a Hunter is an awesome book. Ernest Gone is a great author. So thanks so much. I appreciate that. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to reread the book now that you mentioned it. Um, next up is our guest co host this evening. It's Larry Overstreet. Larry, what's your pick of the Hey, week? yeah. Um, first, a real quick shout out to uh, Martin Santic on Twitter, who had some nice tweets about uh, Stuck Mike earlier today. So, hey, Martin. Um, pick of the week. Uh, like a lot of pilots, I use for flight, you know, extensively when preparing for uh, a flight. Um, but there's one app that I keep going out for uh, because for flight just doesn't have the feature that I want, uh, and that is uh, SKU-T charts. And for those of you uh, who are not familiar, it's sort of a newish weather product, been around for, I don't know, five or ten years or something like that, um, mostly used by glider pilots, but also it's really uh, helpful for IFR pilots and VFR pilots. So my pick of the week is the SKU-T Log Pro iOS app, and it's available for both the iPad and the iPhone. 
Um, and uh, as of their April 23rd update, it's free. I've been paying a subscription for it now for a couple of years. It's pretty modest, uh, but they've just dropped that altogether. Um, and, and what it is, if you're not familiar with the SKU T, um, the, the T is temperature, and it's skewed at a 45-degree angle on this chart. And then pressure, the P, is on a logarithmic scale. So it's skew T log P. Um, and there's a ton of information available that I don't know where to find anywhere else. Uh, the thing that I use most often for IFR flight is that there are temperature dew point graphs that rise up through the atmosphere and allow you to see where they're going to meet and where they aren't. And so it gives you a really good indication of where you're likely to see uh, cloud bases or visible moisture and where you're not. Um, and whether or not that's going to be in a freezing zone, you know, which is typically, uh, you know, zero to 20 degrees uh, below um, centigrade. Uh, you can get any point, uh, any airport ID, any um, latitude, longitude, wherever you currently are, anything like that. And you can look out about 18 hours into the future typically. And so you can sort of scroll through and say, what's it going to look like in an hour, in two hours, in three hours, in four hours? Um, and if you want to learn more about the SKU-T product, there's lots of videos on YouTube. But uh, SKU-T Log Pro iOS app, uh, I use it a lot and find it very valuable for both uh, powered flight and glider flight. Skewty, that sounds pretty cool. And for us math geeks, I think that'd be awesome to check out. I, I like that. Thank, thanks, Larry. I appreciate that. And uh, appreciate you coming back, too, by the way. Uh, thanks, thanks for being here. Oh, you bet. It's always good to... Always good to talk to you guys. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, guys, that's that's actually it for the the picks of the week. Uh, just a quick reminder: our uh, sponsor of this episode is uh, Jeffrey Kennan from The Day I Learned to Fly. It's a really cool book, just like Larry said, and I I really enjoy it uh, so far. What I've read of it. And uh, if you want to read some of it and see some of the pictures, actually click on the link that's on the website. It brings you to Amazon and, you know, how they have that little preview. You can actually preview the book and see, see some of the really cool pictures that are in there. The After Landing Checklist. Also, I'd like to bring your attention, too, to the actual website, stuckmikeavcast.com. Don't forget that we have all sorts of things up there, uh, subscribing to the podcast and also our newsletter. Uh, we also put out some other information about what's coming up. And uh, another thing, too, the picks of the week, we're putting them in uh, to a directory. So all the things that we've chosen as picks of the week are going to be on there. And also you can figure out how, we, how to follow us on YouTube, etc. Importantly, though, if you have questions, uh, if you have comments, we want to hear about your journey, success stories, failures, etc., whatever it may be. Just go to the contact page, say contact us, and uh, and tell us your story. Uh, we, we'll we'll de-identify it. We won't put your name in here unless you want us to. Let us know if you want to, or your name to be put in there. But give us a teaching moment. Give us something uh, you've learned. Also, comment on what we talked about today because I know uh, that a lot of you listening are, are probably sitting there yelling at 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 your <laughs> your iPhone or your podcatcher right now and saying no, we shouldn't teach stalls like that, etc. So I'd love to hear from you folks. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening to this podcast. And remember, you know we. We love hearing your stories, and we all love to, you know, talk about learning to fly, and we all just, you know, basically live to fly, and we love to fly. So, I tell you what, if if you get a chance, go out there and, and do something now, uh, aviation related. Have some fun. Read a book, watch a movie, uh, watch uh, Fate Is the Hunter or The High and the Mighty. But get out there and do something. Have fun with aviation. We'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. 
Members of the Stock Mike AppCast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.